Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. I want us to take a look this morning at Luke chapter 16, and we will begin in verse 19. Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 19. This story will be filled with questions. We won't try to answer them all. But Jesus tells us in verse 19 that now there was a rich man and he had habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate. I'm not sure why. Perhaps he was sick, perhaps something else had happened in his life, but he was not even able to put himself at the gate. He was laid at the gate by others, and he was covered with sores. And longing to be fed with the crumbs which fell or were falling from the rich man's table, besides all of that, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, that's literally the word, in Hades he lifted up his eyes being in torment and saw Abraham from afar and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that during your life you received your good things and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all of this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed so that those who would wish to come over from here to you will not be able and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house for I have five brothers in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. In other words, they have the writings of Moses, which was the law, and then they have the prophets, the writings of them. Let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Do you hear that? He's finally figured out what he missed. He's got religion. But he finally figured out where he missed it. They will repent. Verse 31, but he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, 
even if someone rises from the dead. The word Hades is a fairly colorless term. In the Old Testament, the abode of the dead was called Sheol or Sheol. And in the New Testament Greek, the same place was called Hades. There's really not a lot about either of those words that means anything other than that's where it was believed that the dead would go after they passed from this life. But then Jesus introduces us to a whole other facet of leaving this world. He actually uses the word Gehenna, which is the, means the Valley of Hinnon, and in the Valley of Hinnon, even to this day, it is a place that is considered filthy and, and cursed. It's not a desired place at all. As a matter of fact, it got this name way back in the Old Testament because that was where that they would take their children and put them in the arms of Molech. They had this big statue that was hollowed out and, and they would build a blazing hot fire in, in there and, and when the air got just right, they, these holes in the front of the chest of this huge hollowed out figure, it would just belch fire out and it would incinerate a child. As a matter of fact, God said that, that I was displeased with Ahab, had a lot of reasons to be displeased with King Ahab, but he said one of them is because he passed, had some of his own children pass through the fire. And that's what he was talking about. But Jesus says that this place, Gehenna, he talks about it being a place of torment. He talks about a word here for torment, it's basanos, and it's not just a word that means, well, I'm away from God, or, or I'm lonely here, or I'm, it, it's some emotional pain. I've heard all kinds of excuses made for it. And believe you me, if I could, if I could tell you that, well, if you really study the Greek or you get into the original languages, you can pretty well kind of do away with this whole business of hell as we've understood it. But I can tell you, you can do all of that you want, and you still are going to have to deal with the reality that Jesus taught us himself that there is a place that if we leave this world without a relationship with him, we go to a place that we can hardly describe. It's just incredible. It wasn't made for us any more than water was created for us to drown in. That's not why God created it. It was a place that when everything is said and done, and all the evil and all the wickedness that you and I have seen in our lives and that has gone on for centuries, those things that just absolutely appall us when we see those wicked people like Vladimir Putin or the Adolf Hitlers or people like that that have done all these horrible things, those things that just absolutely stagger the mind. There's a place where all of that goes and is destroyed forever and ever and ever. God says, if you reject me, where else am I going to send you? I, I, I know it, it's almost like, well, but pastor, what about people that aren't like Adolf Hitler? 
They just don't believe. And, and, and it sounds like, well, God should have a third place. You know, not heaven, because we've already concluded that unless you know God and want to worship Him forever, you're not going to be very happy there. If you're still thinking that heaven is just Walmart with no price tags or cash registers, uh, that would be close, I know. But, but if you just think of it that way, it's, it's so much more than that. Unless you have a relationship with, with God, uh, I, I got to tell you, it's not, I, there's nothing there for you. I, you're you're going you're gonna to be in uh, pain and aggravation there as well. But the other alternative is hell. It, it almost seems like, well, why didn't God create a, a third place just for those who may not believe, but... Then I'm reminded in the Revelation that Jesus said, or God says in Revelation 21.8, that the unbelieving, He lists them second in a list of those that will be tormented in hell among the fornicators and the liars and, and those that are impure and, and the wicked, the, just the ones who do not believe. Sounds innocent enough. But they are second on the list of those that will spend eternity in this horrible place. C.S. Lewis said this about it. He was told once about a gravestone with the inscription that read, Here lies an atheist, all dressed up and no place to go. And Lewis quietly replied, I bet he wishes that were so. A.W. Tozer said, the vague and tenuous hope that God is too kind to punish the ungodly has become a deadly opiate for the consciences of millions. Just can't picture God doing that. And, and, and it's so easy if we're not careful, we begin to put God within the parameters of our own thinking. If we can't imagine somebody being there or us having something to do with someone going there, if we could possibly prevent it in our mind, then surely God feels the same way as we do. I, I would warn you about trying to confine God within the parameters of, of your thought, His Thoughts are not ours, and His ways are not ours. G.K. Chesterton said, Hell is the, great compliment that, the greatest compliment that God has ever paid to the dignity of human freedom. If you want to go, if you make the choice, if you decide against believing in Christ, God, will pay your human freedom a great deal of respect. Today we don't talk much about eternity. I, I don't know. Uh, now I remember at one time eternity was a perfume. Uh, I don't know who all comes up with the names for perfume. Uh, this stuff just smells good would have been fine, seems like. But uh, eternity at one time. I don't know if they still make it anymore. <laughs> Hell and judgment are things that we find more in video games than in everyday conversations. We just don't think much about it. And we don't like thinking about it. I, I can tell you, I don't even like preaching about it. If I had my rathers, especially today, 
you know, and I kind of was thinking this week, Lord, surely, how about Psalm 23? You know, that would be a great one to end the week with. And here I am after the week that, that we've had, and I don't complain, Lord. I'll do whatever. I'll preach whatever he leads me to preach. But this would not have been my choice. But for some reason today, it was God's. Perhaps that's a truth maybe you need to struggle with. You're here, and this is what he has to say. There's some things that we can learn from this man that died, though. We don't get to speak to those on the other side very often, but God has allowed us some insight here. He is going to talk with us, first of all, and teach us some things, um, some lessons from the dead for the living. One of them is about the uncertainty of life. In verse 22 says, Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. That's all Jewish thinking. And Jesus is not going to say, Now, okay, let me straighten out that going to Abraham business for you. He had no interest in doing that. He is talking to a Jewish audience and he's letting them know that, Yep, just like you think people go wherever when they die, there was a man that he strongly was Jewish in his faith, very religious man, Angels took him to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. There's 8,200 people, according to what I read this week, that die every day in the United States of America. And I'm going to say that most of them were not planning on it. This man was not. This man was planning on living. He wasn't planning on dying. And even when someone is really sick, it's still... Uh, when, when we know the inevitable is coming one day, it still surprises us sometimes. But it is amazing to me, the last couple of funerals that I'd been a part of and up until my mother-in-law's uh, the, uh, yesterday, the, the one was 24, the one before that was 14 years old. So if you're thinking, young people, that you need to get old to die, that's not true. That's not true. There is an uncertainty in this life and we have really no idea when it's coming. And it doesn't matter who you are. We kind of have a somebody versus nobody scenario here because we have a rich man that, that boy, he just had it all. As a matter of fact, when it talks about eating the crumbs that fell from his table, it wasn't that they were just messy eaters, but the rich, rich in that time would take and wipe the grease uh, from their hands with hunks of bread and just throw the bread in the floor and the dogs could clean it up. Lazarus says, I'd just love to be able to eat some of those hand wipings from that rich man's table. Then you have Lazarus. Now, there's a big theological argument about is this a parable or is it a real story? Well, we don't know. If it is a parable, it is the only parable in which Jesus actually gives someone a name. So I can tell you this, either way, Lazarus may have been a nobody in this world, but he was somebody to God. Because God knew exactly who he was. He knew about his circumstances. And he knew about his plight here on earth. Our point before we move on 
It doesn't matter. If you are rich, if you are poor, death is no respecter of any of us, my friend. You have no guarantee that the house you saw this morning when you left, that you will ever see it again. We have to remember that. He could also teach us something. This man who has died could teach us something about the futility of religion. This was a religious man. And like most times nowadays, we didn't really know how religious he was until he died. Have you noticed that we find out about, boy, oh yeah, so-and-so died. And yeah, I remember he used to go to church over there and he used to do this, that, and the other. We find out all kinds of good things about people at funerals. Did you notice that? This guy never probably talked about Father Abraham, but here he is dead now, and we're dragging all of this up. Every good thing we can find, uh, 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 some Christian song they may have liked or whatever, uh, boy, it, here it all comes to light. But I'm afraid for him and for so many others, it's way, way too late. But he cried out, Father Abraham, this rich man was a Jew, and so as far as having religion, that was not his problem. He was a very religious person. We throw that term around nowadays so casually. Religion, the word itself, means absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. You can have all the religion in the world, but it's not about being part of some religion. It's not about having your own faith experience and being real faithful to that. Or it's not even about being sincere uh, about what you believe. Some of the most sincere people that I ever met in my life were atheists, and, and they fight for their beliefs. It's not about any of that. You can be religious, and by the way, you can be Baptist. You can be a member of Cornerstone Fellowship even, and, and you can love old preacher Mike, and, and you can just uh, uh, have all of that going on in your life and feel really cozy about every bit of it. But unless you have a real relationship with Jesus Christ, my friend, it won't matter when you die. Not one bit in the whole world. Not one bit in the whole world world. I already said this, but I'll repeat it. In verse 30, he said, send them to my brothers. Let him go tell them to repent. He didn't say, tell them, hey, they need to really make it to, to temple worship more often. <laughs> they, they need to tell those boys they need to get in church. See, he's already figured it out. You understand that, what we're learning from him? He's already figured out that, no, what I missed was repenting. It never changed my life. I, I just hooked on my religion like a, a, a cell phone. I just went on with life. I basically picked up Jesus somewhere along the way. A lot of us catch him at VBS. You know, you get a little certificate or whatever. And, and uh, in Sunday school, when you're a kid, you get those little stars by your name. I really think some people believe that they are going to show up one day before God in the judgment seat with a folder full of paperwork to prove that they're a Christian. It's not that way at all. You can have all of that going on in your life and be lost. He understood. I believe in God, and I'm a faithful Jew. But I missed it. What I had never changed my life. Never changed my life. 
Yesterday, we buried my mother-in-law. I shared with them at the funeral, I said, I have never in my life, and I mean this. I said it before she passed, too, many times. I've never in my life seen two people that changed more radically when they came to know Christ than they did. This will be hard for you to believe, but I have proof. If it's just overwhelms you. There was a time they did not love me. Yeah. There was a time that they didn't care about me. I told them that funeral yesterday too. Oh, when I first started dating Loretta. and Oh, first time I went to their house, I was a preacher. Had a suit and tie on. Went there visiting with them with one of the deacons from the first church I pastored. And I looked at both of them sitting there. And I told them, I said, well, because they just basically said, we're not coming to church. And it's just not our thing or whatever. I don't remember what they said. But I remember what I said. I looked at them with all the pizzazz and tact I had, had come up with. That wisdom I had, boy, as a 20-year-old preacher. My goodness, it's a wonder I hadn't hurt myself. I looked at him, I said, well, if you don't accept Christ, you'll go to hell. Oh, yes, Ursula, oh, my goodness. Now, that is the truth. <laughs> There's probably a better way of saying it. The next time I went to their house, I went to date their daughter. And they had not forgotten. You came here last time and told us we was going to hell. This time you want to date our daughter. Oh, they were so, they, they wouldn't even talk to me. They wouldn't speak to me. They wouldn't have anything to do with me. I'd try to show up when they weren't there. And, and boy, it was just something else. And, and I always like to, to, to use this as an illustration about people that get mad and quit church. I, I kept going back. They weren't nice to me, didn't make me feel welcome. Didn't re- I mean, they didn't even recognize I was alive. I mean, they were just downright mean to me, but I kept going back. And you know why? Because there was somebody there I loved. And I tell people, when there's somebody at God's house that you really love the way you ought to love Jesus, we probably won't be able to run you off. Thirdly, he finally realized not only the uncertainty of life, the futility of religion, but we can learn a lesson from this man that has died about our necessity for God. In verse 23, for the first time in his life, he finally looked toward God. In Hades, or in the grave, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. Finally. He focuses on God. It's like in life he just never had thought about that. It was like he was just so busy. I don't know how he made his money. Don't, none of that matters uh, at all. The details aren't given, and it wouldn't make any difference if they were. We just know that the man had, as far as we know, had never considered God or never taken God seriously. But now he's taking him seriously but unfortunately, it is too late. And, and it's almost like he's uh, uh, somewhat upset about how it all happened because he says, go and, and warn my five brothers. It's almost like if I had been warned, if somebody had told me that it was going to really be like this, I would have changed. 
I'd have got right with God. So somebody needs to go and warn them because they're thinking exactly the way I think. Somebody didn't tell me. He finally turns some attention toward God. The uncertainty of life, utility of religion. He could teach us about our necessity for God. You know, God created us to worship Him. He created us with a need for Him. I, I, I don't know of a better way to put it other than to tell you that inside every human being there is just a God-shaped void that only God can fill. And, and you see people try to fill it with things all the time. Look at our world. 100,000 people last year, something like that, overdosed trying to feel that emptiness in their heart that only God can feel. We have people that are, they do horrible things, they, they shoot up places, they do all kinds of crazy things. It is like they're just rabid. They, they have lost their mind. They're depraved. They're, they're trying to do all kinds of crazy things. And maybe you're not one of those people. Maybe you're just steady and, and, and you just keep on working and making more money and, and you have your security and those kinds of things in life and all of that. I, I don't, it doesn't make any difference what it is. If you try to feel that emptiness in your heart that only God can feel, you will never, ever be satisfied. He can also teach us about the insignificance of possessions. But Abraham said, child, remember that during your life you received your good things and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he is comforted here and you're in agony. The purple they mention that Jesus tells us about. When they would dye cloth in that day with purple, it came from a shellfish and it was very expensive dye. To be able to have an outfit that you would wear once in a while would indicate that you were a person of means. But the scriptures here indicates he was able to dress like this every day. That was the outer wear. The undergarments was the fine linen. That's what he would wear under these beautiful cloaks of purple. So he could afford to wear them every day. But don't get the thinking that, well, him being rich was the problem. And this is God settling the score. And, 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 and don't, don't get all socialists on me here and think, well, you know, God's going to take the rich people and send them to hell, and he's going to send all the poor people to heaven. I can tell you, hell will be full of poor people. And heaven will be full of rich people. As a matter of fact, Abraham's mentioned several times in here, and I'll guarantee you he didn't have as much money as Abraham had. Being rich was not his problem. Dying without a relationship with God, that was his problem. That was his problem. And notice how arrogant he is. People in that day thought they could just treat the poor however. Did you see where twice he tells Abraham, send Lazarus. 
That's what we did in our lifetime. We sent poor people. If we had somebody hanging out around us, that's what he could have done. He could have told somebody that was poor and somebody that was beneath him. He could have bossed them around. He says, hey, send Lazarus. I mean, what else has he got to do? Send him to my five brothers. Or, or how about sending Lazarus down here and, and, and let him bring me some water and, and cool my tongue because I am tormented in this flame. He was quite a man of means as well as a man of arrogance. Last of all, he could teach us about the uncertainty of life, the worthless futility of religion. He could teach us about our necessity for recognizing God before we die instead of afterwards. He could also teach us about how insignificant possessions really are. Last of all, he could also teach us about how horrible it is to die without Christ. By signing us is the word, I've mentioned it already. It means torment, and it means physical torment. Now, I've told you before, there are a lot of things that we don't understand about either heaven or hell. And I think when we make presumptions, I, I, I think that we get off track. I think we should just leave it alone. The things we don't understand, we just need to leave alone. But let me just tell you what we can conclude from what Jesus has said. Hell is a real place. And real people go there. And they don't ever leave. I, I found it interesting years ago studying this passage that of all the things he asked for, not once did he ever ask to leave. I don't know what he saw when he got there, but he could tell you never leave this place. There is no escape. There is no way out. Horrible. Horrible. I, 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 I don't want to just sit here today and try to use some scare tactic, tactic on you. I don't think that that will be effective. But I would tell you this today. If you're thinking, well, bad people go to hell, good people go to heaven, and then there must be some other place where us that just, you know, we treat people decently. Not a religious person. I meet people all the time. They're not one, worried one bit in the world about going to hell. Not one bit in the world. They think nothing of it. As far as they're concerned, it's some old wives' tale, that it's some old mess that some preacher made up somewhere. Uh, boy, they, they just totally dismiss it. i I, I got to tell you something. We either die and leave this world with a relationship with Jesus Christ and we go to be with Him forever where we worship Him throughout all eternity or the other alternative. And it wasn't created for people. It was created, the Word says, for the devil and his angels. It was a place where God says, once and for all, I will send evil and wickedness and all of those horrible things that you see people do. I, I just sometimes, and, and, and if you're like me, and I am a passionate person. My goodness, I, I saw this guy the other day on, on the news, took a, uh, an older person and just hauled off and just cold cocked him and, and knocked him completely out. And he just, 
it just was incredible. I'm like, how in the world can, can you do that to somebody? And, and this issue with abortion has come up. I've, I've never seen people go so crazy about being able to, to take the life of a child. Yesterday, the governor of New York, uh, or the, the, uh, the, the uh, mayor of New York City came out and said there should be no restrictions, even up to nine months. To abort a child. I'm like, how can you say that? Ah. God says, I prepared a place where all that nonsense will go. And it will be no more one day. You don't want to go there. But you won't have a choice one day. Right now you do. Right now you do. You could accept Christ as your Savior. You could quit playing around about this religious business. You could quit hoping that the good will outweigh the bad. That's not how it works at all. You, you, you could quit all of that and finally just say, God, I need you to be my Lord and Savior. I need you, God, to forgive me of my sinfulness. Boy, it's so different when a saint dies. I'll close with this today. And I know I'm quitting a little early. Will you, will you let me? You know, you're supposed to go, nah, go on. My mother-in-law went in and made up the bed Wednesday morning. My father-in-law was sitting in his big chair and he went to sleep. He said he woke up and he called for her and she didn't come in there. She didn't hear him. So he went into the spare bedroom and she was a stickler about making up beds and having everything in the house just right. Well, she had gone in the extra bedroom to do something. And this is what's kind of interesting. I'm, I'm not just trying to fascinate you with this, but I think it's interesting. She had a little coat she wore. She only weighed 94 pounds. She had a little coat she wore, and she only wore it when she was about to go somewhere. And she had gone in the closet, and she put on her coat. And I don't know what she knew or didn't know, but she was about to go somewhere. She sat down on the edge of the bed, put her hands on her legs, and just leaned over. Never fell out on the floor, never fell back on the bed. Just sat right there, died so peacefully. When he found her, she was still just sitting right there. And she had already gone home to be with the Lord. Not, not because... She was such a sweet person, not because she loved me, and you better believe she loved me. I knew when I got to her house on Thursday and there was an unsweet tea in the refrigerator, there was something wrong. I knew when there weren't frozen grapes in the freezer, and even unlike my own wife, she would pull the little stems off of them. No greater love. No greater love hath anyone.
man alive. When they did decide to love me, boy, did they ever. And when they decided to love Jesus, they went completely crazy. It was almost like for them, that's all that mattered. Isn't that something? It was like he was the most important thing in life. Just incredible. I want to tell you something. I wish I could tell you that everybody that leaves this world, oh, they just go on to that great place in the sky. We say some of the dumbest things sometimes. We'll say, oh, so-and-so's up there. You know, he was a farmer. He's up there plowing those gardens. He's up there working in God's garden now. Amen? If he's lost, he's nowhere near God. He's in a horrible place. And he's never going to leave. We've got to quit joking around, messing around. We've got to quit trying to doctor up these things we read in Scripture so they won't keep us awake at night, friend. We've got to believe it because God said it. Here is a dead man. And he tells Abraham, he said, if one rose from the dead, they would believe. This is what's so crazy about it. He said, if one stood in front of them that had been in hell, they would believe. But that's not true. You would think if something really dramatic happened like that. I know people are thinking that, boy, if God would just write it in the sky one time, or if God would just quit being so aloof and just, just make it plain, everybody in the world would believe. But, but God said, no, if one even rose from the dead and went to your five brothers, if they read the prophets and they read the writings of Moses, and that doesn't convince them. Theatrics won't do it. Drama won't get it done. They got to believe the truth or they will die without it. That's sad. That's sad. If you're here this morning, we're going to pray. Maybe as I pray today, I, it might be a good time. I, I, I don't know but who you are or what your condition is in your life, but it might be a good time for Instead of listening to me pray, for you to say, God, I'm done messing around. I would need you as my Savior. I don't want to leave this world without you. I don't understand everything that man said today, but I understand this. I need your death to pay for my sins. I need to receive your righteousness as a gift of grace. If he's touching your heart, talk to him. Talk to him. Let's pray together. Lord, I ask you right now, please speak to our hearts. I pray, God, please don't let a single person walk out of this place today unless they have a relationship with you. God, help us to understand what that means. Lord, we have been so inundated with ideas about church and religion and, and all kinds of things, Lord, that have to do with, with so-called holy things, God, that, that we've, we've missed it, Lord. We've, Lord, it's, it's, it's almost like we just are dying confused, God. I pray today, Lord, that you've made it clear for us.
It's not your desire that any should perish. You tell us that. But that all would come to know you. God, that's what you tell us in your word. Lord, I pray that you would just help someone here today. If he or she doesn't know you as his personal Lord and Savior. I pray God today would be the day that that person would turn their heart to you. I pray, God, you would just work a work in their life. And I pray, God, you'd give them enough courage to find somebody today and sit down with them and tell them, look, I accepted Jesus today as my Savior. I want to serve Him. I want to declare Him publicly. I want to be baptized and let the whole world know that I'm a born-again Christian. I pray, God, for that right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at ServantsWay.com or email us at office at ServantsWay.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.